Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Soulmates, plenty of conversation for you today. Welcome to it. It's Wednesday, February 22nd. The sentencing for the killer of Nipsey Hussle is finally here. Plus, one company is searching for a sailor rescued at sea. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks giving you some Black uh, February, Black History Month before it all goes away. You know, we only have 28 days. You're right. A little Zamunda, a <laughs> little Wakanda, a little Ghana. First I was like, eh, I was like, no, I'm going to do this. It looks good on you. It looks Why, good thank on you. you. Uh, I, and I'm Ecuador, Ecuador. Day. Uh, remember, history has been made in Minnesota mm. for felons. Uh, we have the full story for you. And there's a shortage of blacks in a very important industry. It's the stories that are impacting our people. Our news, views, and our voice. So let's get into the top of the conversation today as friends and family came out to say their final goodbyes to Ariel Anderson. She's a 19-year-old who was one of the three students killed in the Michigan State University shooting. Ariel was a Gross Point North High School graduate that sits right outside of Detroit. She hoped to become a surgeon. Her funeral was held at Zion Hope Church right here in Detroit. Several people spoke, including Governor Whitmer. Funeral service were held for the other two students killed. That's Brian Frazier and Alexandria Verner over the weekend. And what is just so heartbreaking, aside from the mass shootings and all of the politics and the cries for change, is that this young lady was on her way. Uh, she was planning on graduating from Michigan State early so she can get right into being a doctor, a pediatrician, I do believe, and begin to help people, help the community, and for this life just to be cut down senseless, senselessly, it just adds more insult to the injury, to the heartbreak. And to see that family come together in mourning was just, it was devastating. That's right, that's right. And I, and I know you are a Michigan State yeah. uh, alumni, mm -hmm. and I know you've been in touch with some other alum yeah. uh, that are uh, just in the early stages of healing from this. Yeah. Um, you know, all all reports aside, how are you doing? How are alumni doing? How's the school community doing? You know what? I, I don't want to make it a, a me thing. You know, I was on Michigan State's campus, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, and I've gone back here and there for homecoming, uh, sometimes to be a maybe a guest speaker, especially in the, you know, communications department. Um, I have a few mentees and uh, younger sorors and, and, and uh, peers who are sores as well. So I go back every now and again, but I was really more so concerned with the health and well-being of the students and, uh, you know, friends who stayed uh, a part of uh, Michigan State University family closely who are now employees, whether it be in the administration uh, department, whether it be in the counseling uh, department, the dean of offices, I was concerned about them as well. And it's a slow process because everybody is so different in regards to the way they handle it, in regards to the way they, you know, they frame this thing and you can't force it. And for those who are ready to go back on Monday, they're back. And for those who are struggling, um, kudos to Michigan State for, for making some options available for, for students and, and faculty to really take their time with this thing. Oh, well, you know, good luck to everybody on the healing That's path. Right. Uh, from Michigan to New York, where the daughter of Malcolm X is suing the CIA and FBI in the $100 million lawsuit. The family claims the agencies conspired with each other and allegedly allegedly covered up evidence in Malcolm X's assassination. Malcolm X was shot as, as a crowd gathered to hear him speak at the Audubon Ballroom in New York City in 1965. Now, three men were convicted, but two were later exonerated after renewed investigations revealed that authorities held back some information. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Courtney, you know, the, the two men who were um, uh, wrongly convicted, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sued uh, and won $36 million That's in right. damages. And so uh, the family of Malcolm X is saying, well, you know, if the folks well, that you wrongly accused <laughs> Show us got the $36 million, That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, then what about us, folks who lost their father yeah. uh, and uh, who've endured a severe trauma? And so a lot of people paying attention to this case, especially given 
that this lawsuit was filed on uh, Malcolm X's birthday, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, the anniversary of what would have been Malcolm X's assassination. Mm -hmm. That was just yesterday. And what I, what I find this to be a, a travesty, I mean, all through throughout the years since the assassina assassination, there's always been talk, there's been small talk, there's been whispers, there's been co-inspiracies, and for legitimate arguments, for uh, legitimate proof to be coming up, years and years later, a generation you know, or so later, um, proves that these whispers, you know, weren't in vain, that there was always something going on surrounding this assassination. Of course, we have the story that was given to us, mm -hmm. and then it sounds like for sure uh, there is a backstory. Um, and, and you fast forward, and now there are monies uh, being distributed because people have suffered by way of, of either the lies or the secrecy or the truth not uh, being impeded in regards to what needed to come out. So, you know, big ups to uh, the remaining family members. I hope they get all of that money and, and big ups to uh, those men who were wrongly uh, convicted and just continue to press through. And I don't think I don't think we still have the, the full truth in the, in regards to yeah. Malcolm X's assassination. And we might as well put uh, uh, MLK and, and Medgar Evers and, yeah. and a few others. Yeah. And we know that there were programs like, you know, COINTELPRO. This was a real program that existed among federal law enforcement uh, to infiltrate mm -hmm. uh, the black community, infiltrate black organizations, and uh, disrupt and discredit, among other things. Mm -hmm. um, we know that there are even allegations that uh, uh, federal law enforcement infiltrated some of the Black Lives Matter uh, 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 chapters across the country uh, as well. And so uh, I think this lawsuit is going to help a lot of folks Bring get the, the information that we need. Bring the truth. Uh, look, we say, what do we say? Our promise every show, our views, our news, and our, our voice, voice. Uh, and our truth, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it seems that uh, the daughter of Malcolm X is, uh, quite frankly, trying to seek out the truth. Yeah, march on, daughters, march on. Yeah. Okay, we're going to march on here. At the uh, state capitol, the Senate passed a measure that restores voting rights for felons in Minnesota. This is huge. Now, the bill will allow them to vote as soon as they are out of prison instead of after completing probation or parole. Now, the House already passed it earlier this month, and Governor Waltz has said he'll sign it. Uh, Nicole and I, we've talked to, about this before um, here at our, at our desk here at Fox Souls Black Report. The argument, should a felon, you know, be able to, you know, carry on, uh, you know, as they as they would prior to the, the felony conviction? Should that stay with them and follow them uh, throughout their lives, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, coming back into society, to society, having paid your debt to society? Should you be able to participate as if. Yeah, and I think I think the answers are resounding yes, and you don't have to just take my word for it. Yeah. There are 21 other states that re restore the voting rights when people uh, uh, with felonies, mm -hmm. uh, with felony convictions, leave prison. Right? There's no extra paperwork that you got to do. <laughs> There's you know waiting period. You know, you if you've done your time, if you have served your debt, uh, then you should have all of your rights uh, restored, including your voting rights. And so this is a major step forward. Uh, you know, it was. It was a close vote. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this measure won by five votes mm -hmm. uh, in the Minnesota State Senate. Uh, the governor has pledged uh, to sign it when it hits his desk. Um, and this is going to make a material difference in, in terms of the number of black folks that can cast their vote. Uh, you know, before this was passed, 1% of white people, 6% of black people, and 9% of Native Americans in Minnesota could not vote in 2018. Once this law is signed into law, uh, rights will be restored, uh, and that will drop to 0.1% of, of white folks, 1.5% of black folks, and 2% of Native American folks, respectively. That's a big difference. And, you know, and we report on uh, these elections, you know, all the time. So many of these elections are so close, you know, from, you know, president to Senate uh, to school board. Mm -hmm. Hello, AP Black History, right? And so every vote counts, and this is going to make a big difference in Minnesota. Agree. Yeah. Well, moving from uh, Minnesota to Virginia, where voters are making history having elected Jennifer McClellan to Congress. Democratic State Senator Jennifer McClellan won a special election just yesterday to be a U.S. representative. She replaces Democratic Representative Donald McEachin. 
You might remember that uh, Representative McEachin died back in November. Uh, this makes her the state's first black woman in Congress once she's sworn in, and there will be a record 28 black women uh, in total in Congress. All right, let's move on to the First Lady as Jill Biden opened a five-day two-country visit to Africa on Wednesday, during which she will focus on empowering women and youth and highlight food insecurity in the Horn of the Africa region. She and Namumba's First Lady embraced on the tarmac before Jill Biden greeted waiting U.S. and Nambian diplomatics uh, and government officials. Uh, she accompanied, she was accompanied by uh, her granddaughter, Naomi Biden, on this trip. It's Jill Biden's sixth time in Africa, but her first visit as First Lady. She is following the footsteps of former First Ladies who all made the trip across the Atlantic Ocean in the name of trying to help foster goodwill towards the United States. And this is always going to be a good look if her husband can sneak <laughs> over to Ukraine in, in the, in the, the darkness the in, the, in the darkness of night to go see about them folks. Uh, I appreciate Appreciate First Lady uh, Jill Biden uh, taking a trip across the Atlantic to go see about uh, these folks. Yeah, and this isn't uh, First Lady Jill Biden's uh, first visit mm -hmm. uh, to uh, uh, to Sub-Saharan Africa. She's been there multiple times, mm -hmm. at least a couple times, uh, with then Vice President uh, Biden. Uh, but it's important that our soulmates recognize how important this is because Africa is the fastest growing and youngest region of the world. A lot of people don't know this. Mm -hmm. And by 2050, one in four, one in every four people in the world will be African. Yeah. One in four people in the world. And so it's good to see that not only the president, but the first lady recognizes that we should not ignore the people of Africa because the people of Africa represent the future. And it brings of the us world. back to the to the earlier efforts of our our, our famous floatus, forever floatus, the, the bring our girls back, save our girls, those issues we know that uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey has been, uh, you know, dedicated to helping uh, young girls in Africa have the same sort of opportunities that young black girls here uh, in the states have. So it's good to see uh, Joe Biden put a put a period on that thing and go see about the good folks in Africa. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, back here at home, the man convicted of killing rapper Nipsey Hussle back in 2019 is finally being sentenced. 32-year-old Eric. R. Holder was found guilty of first-degree murder of the 33-year-old Grammy-nominated artist. Nipsey Hussle was shot and killed outside of his clothing store, The Marathon, in South Los Angeles, where both men grew up. Holder is likely to serve life in prison. A lot of people waiting for this to, to come down. Um, you know, it just takes a while for things to move through the system. I don't know if the, you know, maybe the, the pandemic had something to do with that, slowing that down. Um, but, but what I'm taking from this is, yes, we need justice in this case. But, uh, you know, it looks like it appears as though from the outside looking in that the family is doing their best to move on, to live in that legacy. We've seen, you know, Lauren London back at acting, uh, you know, after some hesitancy, uh, hit movie. Um, I know there's still some... Uh, you know, a battle within the family about custody with, with one of the uh, children, the eldest uh, daughter, I do believe. But, you know, uh, we would love to have Nip Nipsey here, of course. But with what has happened, um, it, it looks like there's going to be justice, obviously. And it appears as though that family is moving on and, and continuing that healing process, which I believe, you know, continues for forever. I mean, it's something that you just never get over, but you can get through it. It's really one day at a time, one moment, one breath at a time, having experienced such unspeakable loss. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I think it was also noteworthy that uh, Lauren London and, and nobody from Nipsey's family attended uh, any part of the trial, mm. uh, and they didn't even give victim impact statements, and so uh, it, it sounds like they uh, are moving on with their life. And, yeah. uh, and sometimes no response well. is a response, and so I yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I can see why they chose to go that route. All right. So do y'all remember when we first told you about this sailor who survived at sea for days on nothing but spices and Heinz ketchup packets? Well, now Heinz ketchup is trying to catch up with this guy, pun intended. The company posted to IG saying they need uh, soulmates. They need your help in tracking down uh, the amazing man, these are their words, with an amazing story. Elvis Francois was the brave sailor who survived while adrift at sea for 24 days. Hines wants to celebrate his safe return home and uh, help uh, to buy a new boat, but they can't seem to find him, which I find that hard.
to believe because when this story broke a few weeks ago, Heinz Ketchup, it was a huge story. And it was at that moment that they should have really got at this guy and, and, and helped him along. But, you know, better late than never. I'm just confused as to why it's so difficult to locate him. I know he, he's from an island, but all the press that he got in that moment yeah. and and with social media being so far reached stretched as it is there shouldn't be that much of a problem finding this guy yeah but you know what maybe he's watching fox soul's black report and maybe he's watching the story right now and he knows that heinz is looking for him and he's gonna call heinz up and say here i am but all that money heinz has who i don't <laughs> know who their parent company is you can't tell me that they can't find this man Place, well, you know, or couldn't have already found him in 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 due time, or or got on the story when it first broke. <laughs> like, help me out here. Well, uh, you know, from Heinz ketchup to tomato sauce, still ahead <laughs> is pizza causing controversy in Columbus. Mm. It's not what you think. A local pizzeria is uh, stirring things up with their help wanted sign. Found out, find out why they chose to get creative and how people are reacting to the joke. Coming up next on Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report, the place for our news, our views, and our voice. Now the snow is piling up along with travel delays in the Northeast. Yeah, Don't we, are, we know it. We are getting ready. Many people here, it's ice for us. The ice storm, the schools are closed. It was stuff. fleeting it when was, I drove in today. It was, I'm glad you made it safely. You yeah. just gotta slow down. Uh, many people are now trying to, to dig out or either prepare after two days of back-to-back -back storms and then the predicted storms that are coming in certain areas across the country. So it's that old saying, be grateful because there's someone off, someone else who's worse off than you. Mm, don't we know it? Mm-hmm. Yep. The Northeast is bracing for its third significant winter storm in less than two weeks. The storm is expected to bring gusty winds, minor coastal flooding, and areas of snow from New York to Maine. Some areas may see as much as 20 inches. Thousands of people are still without power after last week's storm, which dropped more than two feet of snow in some areas. And let me tell you something, Mother Nature, old man winter, nothing to mess with. You really have to be prepared, even if sometimes, you know, we rely on the meteorologist uh, when sometimes, you know, they might not get it as accurate or as right. I still think it's worth it to heed to the warnings and prepare yourself because I think nature is just so unpredictable and yeah. you'd rather be prepared and it not happen than it happen and to not be prepared. But, you know, we also have to remember that it costs money. It costs money to be prepared, right? And, and I oftentimes think about, you know, the folks that, you know, may have mobility issues mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, being able to, you know, scoop the snow off of their, their cars and scoop their their sidewalks and their driveways, mm -hmm. you know, and I think about, you know, the folks that can't afford for that food to spoil if the power goes out uh, in the refrigerator. And so, uh, you know, let's make sure that we're also checking on each other mm -hmm. uh, as these storms are making their way across the country. Uh, we can at least do that much, right? I agree. All right, well, according to the Association of American Medical Colleges, only about 5.7% of physicians in the United States identify as black or African-American. Now this comes as the U.S. population has an estimated 12% of the U.S. population that is black or African-American. Experts believe one reason for this can be traced back to how black people have been historically excluded from medicine and the institutional and systemic racism in our society. Did you know that the first black American to hold a medical degree, Dr. James McCune Smith, had to enroll at the University of Glasgow Medical School in Scotland? Can you I believe did, that? I did not know that. And that is that is why we have what we the program that we have so we can learn things. You learn something new every day. Listen, we've had these conversations before right here at this very desk. And with all of the issues that we have when it comes to medicine and how we just sometimes, you know, foundationally just don't trust it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you take a look at the history, you know, with black people and medicine, um, we just don't trust it. Um, we have a hard time getting to our doctors if we have a primary uh, care doctor. And then, you know, when we when we are in the care of doctors that sometimes don't look like us, sometimes we question the uh, treatment. Sometimes we question the diagnosis. Um, you know, is this doctor, you know, do they care the way we need them to care? If, if, if you know, I was his sister or his mom mm -hmm. or his daughter, uh, we've talked about this when, when it comes to, you know, the reproduction uh, uh, issues that black women have. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to... Um, um, the uh, maternal 
uh, issues uh, that women have, uh, you know, with having babies and things of that nature. So, I mean, having a doctor that looks like you makes a difference. Makes a difference. Makes a big difference. And affordability and access yeah. also make a major difference. And we're talking about affordability and access to medical school. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. If we didn't have black HBCU medical schools, mm -hmm. right? we would be in an even worse way yeah, in terms of the number of black works. Uh, physicians uh, across the country. Some in the works are being opened. Uh, some you know, folks are paying attention to and, and pushing some money into. So uh, we'll have to keep tabs on that. More black doctors, sounds like that's what we need. All right, former NBA ballers Kenyon Dooling and Alan Anderson have been sentenced to two years in prison for defrauding the NBA on millions of dollars in a multi-million dollar uh, healthcare fraud scheme. Now the U.S. Attorney's Office recently announced that Dooling who once served as vice president of the NBA Players Association was sentenced to 30 months in prison. And on February 10th, Anderson, who you also see here, was sentenced to 24 months. Dooling was accused of receiving over $360,000 in fraudulent claims, as well as helping other players file false claims from the National Basketball Association Players Health and Welfare Benefit Plan. Dooling was the 10th player selected in the first round of the 2000 draft. Why? But yeah. why? You know, I mean, you know, you're already doing pretty well in the NBA, mm -hmm. or was doing pretty well in the NBA and then you know was an executive at the NBA Players Association likely still doing mm -hmm. very well mm -hmm. why you know you know yeah. you know why the fraud why the scheme you know you know why roping in so many other uh, you know former players into all of this it just I don't know. Maybe, maybe this makes me sad. Maybe the schemey thing was just in them. Sometimes maybe you're just a, you're just a schemer by nature. But here's the thing, you know, uh, the, the NBA is is pretty much um, uh, kind of controlled by the players, if you will. They're 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 going to be the one league that's going to get what they want. They have a very strong players union, and they get what they want, including their money. I mean, those contracts are guaranteed. Um, I, I want to say back in the day, you would ride the bench for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now it's up in the millions just to ride the bench. So, you know, your first frame of mind is to question. Why? Why would why would they need the money? I know some contracts aren't as lucrative as others, but you have just a golden opportunity to make it to the league and make money that you probably would have never made. You know, as far as everyday money is concerned, why, why, why? And mm. now you gotta now you gotta pay the piper. They sure do. Well, uh, moving on to. Uh, speaking of paying the piper, mm. we're going to move to the NASDAQ, where a passionate group of black and brown change makers recently opened the stock market as at NASDAQ headquarters in New York City with a historic bell ringing ceremony. During a live broadcast, Essence Ventures founder Rich Dennis stood proudly alongside two members of the entrepreneurial cohort, Monique Rodriguez, founder of Miel Organics, and Pinky Cole, founder mm -hmm. of Slutty Vegan, as they sounded the bell. In support of black business growth, take a look. In this room today, we have some of the world's most dynamic founders, funders, executives, and leaders. The family that we've built, the ecosystem that we've put together, that is now empowering and driving real value and real wealth in the black community is just astounding. We in this room and those that believe in this mission are not going to regress. We're going to continue to forge forward. What a great example of investing in us, you know, as a part of his landmark sale of Sundial Brand. Mm -hmm. uh, Rich Dennis, he created this $100 million uh, New Voices for Women of Color fund. He provided mentorship and investment uh, in black women founders experiencing extraordinary challenges. We talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. Challenges such as access to capital and uh, resources and relationships with retailers and so much more. And so this is part possible. This is part of what can happen when we invest in one another. Yeah. And, and I hear you. And you did mention access to capital. And that's really been the, the big push. That's been the big concern. We just talked uh, a couple of shows ago about how well black businesses are flourishing. Uh, through the pandemic, a lot of sisters in particular said, you know what, I'm going to just go out here and make this happen. They became entrepreneurs. However, we know that we're falling short with gaining the access to the capital, either for these startups or to maintain our businesses. And so, you know, it's great to see stories like this, but let's not, you know, let's not settle and let's not get too comfortable because there are black businesses out here who need the help, who are not getting the help. There are black folks out here with some amazing ideas that they want to take to business 
and they just cannot get the support, more so yeah. the money, to make those things happen. And yeah. that is still unfair. A lot of racial discrimination wrapped up in all of that. Yeah, but yeah. you know, like Pinky Cole, for example, the mm -hmm. founder of Slutty Vegan. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember back when she was a producer for Ayanla Fix My Life. She worked with Montre oh, wow. uh, on Your that husband. show. And, and to see her, you know, now as this mogul, yeah. um, to see her as a part of this cohort. I mean, yeah. she's a, a living, breathing example yeah. that think of big dreams more, can come true. How many more pinkies are out here is they what I'm are. saying. They are. And there. they need opportunities as well. And yeah. she's giving opportunities, I, I want to say. But there's many more out here who 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 are struggling just to just to get to first base. And we got to we got to stay mindful yeah. of that. That's right. Yeah. All right. Normally, if you hear pizza and mixed reactions in the same sentence, you're probably debating on different uh, toppings. Like I cannot stand pineapple on pizza. I think that is the worst thing ever. <laughs> but in Columbus, the discussion is centered around something much, much more different. Posted uh, in a huge print outside San Torino's Pizzeria is a sign reading, now hiring non-stupid people. The pizza shop saying they need for new employees. The need for new employees is so serious that they decided to get creative so they could stand out, you know, from the others who are looking to fill positions. Uh, for the most part, uh, people in the uh, Columbus area are enjoying the joke. You see it as a joke or an insult or what? Listen, I just see it as uh, as folks trying to get a little attention, mm -hmm. you know, to uh, Bring get some people help. Uh, in the kitchen yeah. uh, cooking them pies, mm -hmm. cooking them pies. And so, you know, it seems to be working. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, maybe we should call and say, hey, have you gotten, you know, some job apps based upon, you know, this particular sign? We should now. All I know is Greg's Pizza in Detroit didn't have to put up a sign like that. No, and I had that that's last all, night. That's all I know. I went and ordered and picked that thing up last night, and me and the husband, Mm -hmm. uh -huh. It felt like a Saturday night. You know, yeah, pizza <laughs> on the weekend, Saturday night. But yeah. yeah. Pizza's just good. Whether the people work there are stupid or not, the pizza's just good. Especially, especially when the <laughs> weather's bad. I'm not stupid, but I'm just saying. No, pizza's no. just good. If it's good pizza, it's good pizza. Good pizza's good pizza yeah. in any weather, especially when it's cold like yeah. this. Up next, an Arizona City Council is set to vote on renaming some local streets that have some troubling times. Yeah, find out why community members want to replace these names with civil rights activists and pioneers who fought for desegregation. Those stories and more coming up on Fox News Back Report. Soulmates, welcome back to Voxel's Black Report, the place for our news, our views, and our voice. As we continue to honor Black History Month, we're introducing you to a Milwaukee artist helping children learn in a fun way. That's right. He's helping them recreate iconic photos of important people in Black history. Fox's Aaron Maben has the story. There it is, say cheese. Gotcha. It's picture day. Gotcha. At Milwaukee College Prep. Oh yeah, no glare, that's a couple more. And Taryn Sims. Oh, you ready. Has some help getting smiles. One more time, look right at the tag, okay? Say cheese. So if you see a picture of a kid smiling, you're easily hooked to it. Look at the tiger. But this well-dressed pose is not for the yearbook. Gotcha. Students are recreating photographs of black icons. You ready? Let's see what you got. Logan Peterson is a knockout as the greatest Muhammad Ali. Good, excited, and fun. Say cheese. Each February, Sims uses photography to celebrate Black History Month with students. It all started with three girls recreating a poster for the movie Hidden Figures. I really feel like when you know who you are, you're just better all around. So how can you know yourself without knowing your roots and knowing your past? Over the last six years, Sims has highlighted the people who paved the way for the children he captures. And this is the perfect opportunity for them to get in there, get excited and see their life come or like their past come to life. At this shoot, move over for Do the Right Thing director Spike Lee and a Minnie Mae Jemison, the first black woman to travel to space, a past president and first lady and a civil rights icon. What did Martin Luther King do? He stand up for himself. And other people too, huh? Mm-hmm. Priceless reactions. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> you like it? Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. 
Oh, you're welcome. Photoshop and imagination make the green screen pictures come to life. They're printed, shared on social media, and used as tools to teach. So they really love seeing themselves. So I hope when people see it, they get excited to learn more about black culture. Um, I think we're more than what meets the eye. Who knew? Bring it down so I can still see your face right there. Picture day. One more big smile, say cheese. Could be there so powerful. What you think? Good. You like that one? That might be my favorite one. In Milwaukee, Aaron Maben, Fox News. Oh, yeah. Our thanks to Aaron Maben for that wonderful story. Uh, just for the right occasion, Black History Month and beyond. Uh, now uh, from Milwaukee to Arizona, where the city council in Tempe is scheduled to vote on whether or not to replace park and road names that have century-old ties to the Ku Klux Klan. A Klan chapter dating back to the 1920s called uh, Butte Klan Number no. 3 included many prominent Tempe residents, including mayors and council members, bankers, and other power brokers. In 2021, historical research determined that several parks and streets were named after some of those prominent Klan residents. Tempe council members uh, are now considering the replacement of those names during a March meeting with new names that were proposed by community members and vetted by council appointed volunteers. Cons considering like this isn't a done deal like, hey, we need to, you know, right the wrong, you know, course correct, redirect this little energy here. It's, they're, they're just considering changing it. That's what they say. And they, they're the ones who put out the ties to these names. They, they said, hey, these these names are tied to this, this and that. And we're considering like considering mm -hmm. in 2023 in 2023. But you know what? This is also a part of why people have such an issue about black history in schools, because the more we learn about our history, you know, the history of the fight for civil rights in this country, the fight for equality in this country, the more that 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 people learn about these things, mm -hmm. the more that folks in positions of power, influence and authority are called to account, you know, and that's a part of what's happening in Arizona. You know, they're being called to account. Like, wait a minute. You know, these street names are named after members of the Klan. Mm -hmm. That's not OK. What you going to do about it? But and I also so feel like the more this March meeting, this March meeting that's, that's coming up is is it should be live. You know, because uh, I think so many more people, not just the residents of Tempe, mm -hmm. but I think folks across the country could learn a lot based upon what they're considering at this meeting. But I also feel like a lot of what is being discovered and, un, you know, and unearthed, the, the more discovery, um, like the more there's also this push for it to just stay the same. It's OK. It's been this way for for however long. It's, it's it won't bother you. Just leave it alone. That's the problem I have. Considering, please, I, you know, I wonder if they're gonna like you said make that uh, meeting live so folks can watch in on it because I just want to hear the thinking behind yeah. it, the thinking that it's just a consideration and not a done deal to get rid of these names. Another teachable moment. It is. We'll see where they land on this. Hopefully there, on the right side of history. All right, there are grassroots uh, efforts underway to get hockey's first black coach inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Hockey Nova Scotia has started a petition titled Paris to Toronto, urging Nova Scotia-born John Paris Jr., who is now 76, to be recognized for his contributions to the game. Paris is also the first black scout in the NHL with the uh, St. Louis Blues, the first black general manager in professional hockey and the first black pro hockey coach who led the Atlanta Knights to a Turner Cup in the now defunct International Hockey League. A Hockey Hall of Fame official said the deadline for public submission is March 15th. Soulmates, now the petition had collected over 2,300 signatures so far. And this is really something to, to jump on um, to put an exclamation point on how our history is American history and how there's been so much history that's been erased. Now, I'm from Detroit here in, in Michigan. Hockey's always huge. I don't know if it's because Canada is across the street, but hockey's always been big and it was big with young black kids. Mm -hmm. I know it was a very expensive sport um, and a lot of people, a lot of parents had a hard time keeping up with it. But what I loved when Jack Adams Arena was open um, was you would just throw the young boys and some girls on, but it was, you know, geared towards boys. You would just throw them on the ice and you would just teach them how to play hockey. It wasn't about ice skating. You just teach them the game and the way that they would adapt and just uh, just act, just just go for it and go at it. 
um, just as natural as they would basketball or, or football was just amazing. I don't quite know what happened. I think it was a pale league mm -hmm. here back in the day. So hockey around here is big. You will see black folks with red wing jerseys on it. I know we go to the games, but we love it. And, we I, love and, it. and, and, and there's a whole black history to hockey. There's a whole black history that we don't know enough of. And so I can't wait to learn more because right here on Fox Hills Black Report, you know, we dig into these things, not just during Black History Month, but year-round. 365. That's right. Well, in case you missed it, former NBA player Brad Doherty has made Daytona 500 history as the first black car owner to win the race. The winning car was driven by Ricky Steinhouse Jr., and the Adrenaline Drive came with a double overtime, making it the longest-running uh, of the great American race. Now, the two overtimes pushed the 65th running of the race to a record 212 laps. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. Unfortunately, <laughs> okay. Doherty missed the history-making moment after leaving due to an eye irritation. Mm. Uh, the team is owned by Tad and Jody Geschwichter, along with <laughs> Doherty. What's their last name? Geschwichter. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm excited about your cousin. Okay, that's good to, to hear about this story. I'm excited about um, here in Detroit. They're bringing back the, the Grand Prix, uh, and it is a race through the streets. Yeah. It's the Formula uh, racing cars. Uh -huh. They block off just about every street, you know, downtown Detroit and 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 throughout. Uh, and these cars, these Formula One cars, just race through the streets. And it was always a big to-do. I've been gone for a while, so I'm just coming back, so I'm just learning the politics behind mm -hmm. how it's back, why it's back, and folks are excited. So, you know, with Detroit being, you know, the big black city that it is, we've always, always, like I'm saying, like the hockey thing, if we just dig a little deeper, like we attempt to do here, day-to-day -day on Fox Souls Black Report, you'll know that that we, we have always been there, and so it's not a matter of being or feeling welcomed, we've been there. Yeah. jump yeah it's just a matter of getting back in touch and coming back to it it's black history in the making that's right mm -hmm. that's right and speaking of black history it is time to highlight significant events and achievements by black people that have shaped our world it's today in black history so let's get into 1979 the caribbean island nation of saint lucia gains independence from the united kingdom also today in 1989, that was the year I graduated from high school. Thank you, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Uh, Will Smith wins the first Grammy Award in the category Best Rap Song for the hit single Parents Just Don't Understand. It was so huge. We celebrated because we were like, hip hop is here to stay. Rap music, baby. And finally, born on this day is former basketball legend, still a legend, uh, Julius Dr. J. Irving, he is 73 today. It was good to see him during the uh, All-Star Weekend mm -hmm. to pass off that slam dunk uh, contest uh, uh, trophy. All right, Mardi Gras is still being celebrated, so a lot of folks who will be heading over to their local bar or restaurant to get a taste of New Orleans. Sylvia Perez introduces us to Chef Brian Jupiter, whose neighborhood hotspot is bringing back memories of his childhood, serving up authentic cuisine while letting the good times roll year-round. When Mardi Gras season rolls around, Ina Mae's Tavern is in its element. This Wicker Park restaurant specializes in Southern Creole cuisine. So the gumbo is my grandmother's recipe. Chef Brian Jupiter is in the kitchen cooking up recipes he grew up eating and influenced by his great-grandmother, who his place is named after. So Ina Mae uh, was my great-grandmother. Uh, she, she lived in uh, Unitas, Louisiana, a very small town. Uh, but she sat on all these acres of land and uh, she was just probably the, the nicest little old lady ever. Besides the seafood gumbo, there's red beans and rice, fried chicken biscuits, beignets, and more. Chef says the only way to eat it is hot, so here we go. Oh, mm, look at that. Anime's Tavern and Packaged Goods is a taste of New Orleans from a chef with New Orleans roots who says this style of cooking is truly an art form. When you're from there, you cook it different, you know, um, and <clears throat> excuse me, it, it is a challenge to teach people how to cook, you know, New Orleans food that's not, not from there as well because it's more so about looking and tasting and smelling. 
Ina Mays has been recognized by the prestigious Michelin Guide, and if you want to take it home, they sell his special seasoned flour, hot sauces, and a lot of other products. It's just one of two restaurants he owns. The other is called Frontier. It focuses on whole smoked meats, but Ina May is his love. This is my heart, you know. Um, you know, I eat red beans and rice every day. You know, I eat gumbo almost every day, um, and so you know it. it it gives me a chance to go home. Jupiter is all about family inspiration and inspiring others. He recognizes his role as a celebrity chef comes with a price, a responsibility to hopefully motivate other aspiring chefs of color and in general young people of color to realize hard work can equal success. The push through. Uh, is really in you. It, it, it's built in you, and I can say, I can say that about every black person that walks the streets, is that we are, are built different because of what we've been through as a people. Uh, and so, whether you know it or not, it's in you to fight to to, to prevail. And prevail he has, and his work isn't over yet. And I want to have the opportunity to. Uh, allow people who are struggling to open restaurants, you know, aid them in their journey of, of doing it the right way. Sylvia Perez, Fox 32, Chicago. He got a strong mm. stomach. He can eat gumbo and rice and every beans day. every day. Every day, that's a strong every day. stomach. You know what I love about this is, is as black folks, even as the um, recipe may change, yeah. you know, from here and there slightly. Yeah. You know, I know the folks in New Orleans, a lot of them migrated to, to California. So once they got there, maybe there was something by way of that culture, black culture there that they added to the, but it's still the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, at the very foundation of it. It's still a tradition. It's still culture. And no matter how you you might whip that thing up. Uh, most times it's good, whether you add this in there or take away that yeah. or put that in there. It's kind of like mac and cheese, gumbo. You know, everybody does mac and cheese sometimes a little differently, but if the end result is goodness, then my God. That's right, don't you be bringing no vegan mac and cheese to the cookout. I would never bring vegan mac no, and cheese. I, I, I have, no, I have some friends, you know who you are. But you uh, can't eat mac and cheese. <laughs> I can, I'm lactose so intolerant. you would you know, probably need a vegan solution. I would appreciate some, <laughs> I would appreciate some. But you know what, what's also so amazing to me? Hmm. Um, how, and, and you know, God bless the ancestors, hmm. you know, for leaving us with recipes that we've been able to monetize, mm -hmm. right? Think about how many soul food restaurants exist, not just in Chicago, but across the country mm -hmm. and around the world because of old grandma's recipes. Mm -hmm. Recipe, old grandpa's recipe, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so I think this is just another example yeah. of, of how our legacy endures. Yeah, from scratch, and, and we know it by heart, most of us do, the good cooks. Hello. <laughs> uh, for more of these types of stories and more, be sure to access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our streaming platforms, and don't forget to download the Fox Soul app, honey. Be quite a lie. What you got to say? Well, coming up, we have big news. A celebrity couple has announced they're expecting their first child. Oh, yes. Stay tuned for more details on the exciting journey to parenthood from uh, one of uh, hip-hop's icons. It's all coming up next on Foxhole's Black Report. Lucky them. Welcome back, Soulmates, to Fox Soul's Black Report, the place for our news, our views, and our voice. Now, with that said, Idris Elba and his wife, Sabrina, will accompany EPA Administrator Michael Regan to Ghana and Sierra Leone to address climate change. Yeah, uh, Elba's challenge to the EPA to include African nations prompted the trip. Now, the group will focus on climate changes, effects on Africa's food supply, particularly on smallholder farmers. The Elbas emphasize the importance of empowering Africa through trade and investment rather than relying solely on aid. They want to create job security and entrepreneurship for Africa's youth. And staying with Idra with his fine self for a moment, the actor recently <laughs> expressed distaste for the label Black Actor, saying it hindered his opportunities. Elba criticized the industry's race fixation, uh, saying it might limit people's ambitions. He acknowledged that racism exists, but refused to let it define his acting career. Alba tweeted that he still identifies uh, black as black, but doesn't want to be constrained by the term 
in his career. What say ye, Nikolai Cortez? I think we all can understand that. I mean, you know, you know, we're black, you know, and our experience is able to transcend, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, people limit, you know, what we can do and, uh, you know, what, in his case, what roles he can play, mm -hmm. you know, just because he's black. I mean, I'm trying to think uh, which movie it was. Uh, it was a Viola Davis film. I can't remember which one it was, but mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't originally written for a black woman. I think it was um, How to Get Away with Murder, mm -hmm. uh, the character Annalise Keating. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was originally written for, for a black woman to play that role. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, we, we forget that, you know, black folks are capable of being in spaces that historically we haven't been in. But I hear his push, but but like, can you really get away from it? I mean, because we've all been in situations where despite our talent and, and creativity and, and, and wonderfulness, all, all they're gonna see first is black. I mean, even being a woman, I think they see black first sometimes, you know, when in my experience, when, you know, you're, you're going for different jobs or different opportunities, they just see black. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't think, I think that's something that you can never uh, get away from. So I like the fact that he, he marriaged that, the fact that, you know, he's not, you know, denying his blackness, but at the same time, he wants them to see the artists first. I think that's, that's a difficult ask for me. Um, I'm, I'm not even into, but but I, I, I get it because I'm not even into the African-American thing. I appreciate the title, everybody being politically correct, but I'm just good with black. So, I mean, I, I think it's a difficult ask mm -hmm. because I think when you when you think about movie roles and how they want to cast people and who they want to cast, I think the first thing they're going to see is black. But I, but I think there are experiences that we have that are human. And I think that's what he's trying to say, mm -hmm. you know, is, is don't just, don't typecast me. In other words, you know, there are, there are, a range of characters I can play. There's a range of uh, of, uh, of ways in which I can contribute I think to the world. We get that. I think the struggle is the other. Well, I think that's, why, that's part, part of the reason why we want to share the story. Yeah. So folks here can can get it too. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, speaking of getting it, uh, the brat uh, got herself a baby. Uh, the bump <laughs> is coming. The uh, brat and and wife Jessica Judy Harris uh, Dupart are expecting a baby. Yay for them! The couple revealed exclusively in this week's People issue. The brat, who's 48, says it's been quite a journey. Uh, Harris Dupart, uh, who is already a mother of three, convinced the brat to carry the child after experiencing health complications following her own egg retrieval procedure. Now the couple is now 18 weeks pregnant and the journey to motherhood will be featured on their WeTV reality wow. show. And so congratulations to the, to the brat. It's never uh, too late yeah. to become a parent. Yeah, just, you know, obviously she's, I'm assuming she's getting the best health care. I mean, 48, I think you automatically get put uh, on the risky list, yeah. if you will. So we're hoping the best uh, with both the baby and, and the brat's uh, health. I was surprised that, um, you know, she decided uh, to carry. I was thinking, I knew that there was baby talk, but I thought, uh, Judy would be the one to carry, but um, th that's some powerful love because for Judy to be able to convince the brat to carry mm -hmm. because she wanted her, I, yeah. I saw this on our good friend uh, Sherry Shepard's show, she wanted her to experience motherhood and experience carrying a life inside of you. And so Judy must have some 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 hella love because <laughs> <laughs> you would have just never thought that the brat would be the one uh, to carry. Yeah, yeah. And, and also a sign of the times, I mean, it's just great to see, you know, them as a couple being celebrated. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, their uh, parenting journey being documented mm -hmm. on WeTV. And mm -hmm. so uh, we'll certainly be tuning yeah, into that. Yeah, good for them. All right, actor and comedian Eddie Murphy revealed that he owns the original Sugar Shack painting by artist Ernie Barnes, which was featured on the 1970s sitcom Good Times. Murphy purchased the painting from the Marvin Gaye estate for $50,000, and it is now valued, get this, at over $20 million. The painting depicts a room full of black people dancing, singing, and playing uh, with a sign that reads, Welcome to the Sugar Shack. Murphy emphasized that he has the original painting while a duplicate sold for $16 million. Wow. 
Nicki Minaj is celebrating Carnival in her native Trinidad and Tobago a year after returning to the country for the same event right before the pandemic. She recently collaborated with fellow Trinidadian artist Michelle Montano and Decetra for a remix of their soca song, <laughs> Shake the Place. In Trinidad, Minaj also linked up with other local performers, including Patrice Roberts, for an all-Trini affair. The annual Trinidad and Tobago Carnival is one of many events celebrated in the Caribbean and the Americas to mark the day before Ash Wednesday. It's always a big celebration, Carnival, no matter you know what island you're a part mm -hmm. of. I know here, uh, back in my day, high school time, my parents used to let me go. We used to jump on a train. Toronto's about four hours away. It was a party train, because you, you, you start you know popping bottles as soon as the train pulled out of the station. And there was a carnival there in uh, downtown Toronto, just in the streets. And because that is such a mixed bag uh -huh. of all kinds of Caribbean uh, cultures, um, it was just a party on top of a party, honey. And so that was my really first experience of, of Carnival, even though I do have Caribbean uh, in me. Uh, I was never, I had never uh, been in a Caribbean country. That was because I didn't have to, because I could just go to Toronto yeah. and have that experience. But I do want to get to like Jukano and, and all of those uh, great parties uh, before it's all over. It's on my list. It's on my list too. Road trip. <laughs> Coming up on the Black Report, we're celebrating Black Excellence. Yeah, and we'll tell you the woman who's making history as the first Black woman to be honored for her barbecue skills. Mm. Oh, you're going to want to see this. We'll be right back. It's Fox Hills Black Report. You're watching. 85-year-old Desiree Robinson is the matriarch of the long-standing family-owned restaurant Cozy Corner in North Memphis and has become the first black woman to be inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't know there was a Barbecue Hall of Fame. I know now. She also marked the historic recognition as the first living person, black person, to receive the honor. Robinson co-founded Cozy Corner with her late husband, Raymond. He died back in 2001, who uh, she said was the mastermind behind the success of the restaurant. They opened the business back in 1977, and the restaurant is now four generations in with help from the entire family. That's right. Cozy Corner stands by its tradition of greeting every customer that walks through the doors so they know they are at home. According to sources, Cozy Corner is listed as one of the top 10 Ooh. barbecue restaurants in Memphis. And you better believe the next time I'm in Memphis, I'm going to show up at Cozy Corner. You know, the whole nation is always in this barbecue war. You got Texas, you got Memphis. You got Chicago does ribs. Who else you Chicago's got? Chicago's like the whole Who else you got? I don't know. Who else does ribs really good? Ribs. You know who does ribs really good? Who? Louisville. I was surprised. There's a restaurant. Kentucky. I'm not sure if it's yep. still there. Dos Crows in Louisville. Mm -hmm. Some of the best dry rub ribs I've ever had. Mm -hmm. They were so good. I wanted to FedEx a rack of ribs to myself. North Carolina does a, does a good sauce. You got ribs and then you get into the sauce wars. Oh, well. I lived in Charlotte, so I like the North Carolina sauce. That's all we got I'm here. I'm the Cordelite Cortez. Stay lifted and eat more barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> got vegan.